Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Sally Forrester-Jones with Compass in Beverly Hills, California. Last year, she closed 156 transactions with a total sales volume of $370 million. Her average sales price was $2.4 million, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. Sally has a 24-member team. 14 team agents, one showing assistant, one senior director of operations, one director of sales, one listing director, one director of marketing, one marketing coordinator, one design and sales associate, one listing coordinator, one transaction coordinator, and one team leader. Sally is the team leader of the SFJ Group. She's been an agent for 40 years and sold over $5 billion in her career. In this call, Sally talks about majoring in psychology and starting life as a kindergarten teacher, building a nest egg by flipping houses, getting a real estate license and selling average-priced homes, how she transitioned her practice into selling luxury and super-luxury homes, working with billionaire clients, listing, marketing, and selling an $85 million supermansion the differences and similarities between entry-level and super-luxury home buyers and sellers, the steps to take to transition into the luxury market, why she always phone prospects for one hour every day, team dynamics, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Sally. Hi there. How are you, Mike? I am doing great. Thank you so much for joining us, Sally. Well, Sally, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Real estate was not something I had planned, and so I had went to college, graduated with a degree in psychology, and said, okay, what does one do with a degree in psychology, and what do you do for a job? So I started as a elementary school, kindergarten, first grade teacher for about a year, and then said, you know what, this is really not me. I'm just much more business-oriented and just uh, wound up you know, transitioning into some type of financial situation. And then one thing led to another and I got into real estate and I'm happy to share that and how that happened if you'd like to hear. Yeah, that would actually be great. A lot of people want to know. Okay. So what I did is I bought my first home. I had literally no money and I borrowed $3,000 from my parents This was my ex-husband and I borrowed $3,000 from my parents. I had the seller carry back 10%, bought a home for $31,250, which was not the best home, but 
I spent like just, oh, a few months. I fixed it up a little bit. I made it cute, lived in it, and then put it up for sale and sold it for 45000 after I bought it for 31250 And I said, you know what? This is brilliant. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And, and so that was the start of my real estate career. Did you continue to buy and flip homes? I did at that time. I, I said, okay, I, I took you know the money I made there and I said, okay, let me buy as many as I can. And I wound up borrowing more money and putting as little down as possible and bought 10 of them. I sold them and made about, on the average, 20000 a home. And I had $200,000 and I was rich. And so with that, I said, okay, I think I should get my real estate license. And so I, I got my license and started, you know, started really working in real estate. Now, do you continue to flip homes today or are you working strictly on the brokerage side? Well, my day job is clearly the brokerage, but I do invest and develop and flip homes. And so I've done that. I've done various different types of real estate over the years. So I had had gone into commercial and, and development and property management. I had a mortgage brokerage company and, oh, I don't know, I, I did every type of real estate. And then I divested myself of all of those and merged my residential company with a regional company here and focused on the residential. But throughout, I've always still looked at you know, uh, real estate is something that, you know, I'm so comfortable with. And so it's like, okay, why wouldn't I be, while I'm also buying and selling and helping all my clients, why wouldn't I also be looking for opportunities to make some extra money? So I've always done that, uh, you know, over the years and sometimes more successfully than, than others and ups and downs in the real estate cycle, which does impact all of that as well. Let's fast forward to today. How long have you been in the real estate business? In real estate, I hate to say how long because it makes me feel like I'm, you know, 110. But I've been doing it since the day I was born. Okay, so <laughs> it's been 35 to 40 years or so. So it's been it's been a long time in real estate. That's fantastic. What a great career. Well, let's talk about last year. How many homes did you sell last year and what was the sales volume? Well, I sold about, well, approximately 156 homes, you know, more or less, but I'm quite comfortable with that number. And it was approximately 350 to $370 million worth of sales. Wow. If I've done the math right, that's about $2.4 million as an average sales price. Yes, it's true. That's my average. And what is really a little bit different to what I do is I really cover a wide range of area and a wide range in price points. So where I've sold super, and I sell super luxury properties and also just a small condo. So it is really the whole gamut of price points, but the average comes out to about $2.4 million. And if I understand correctly, over your career, you estimate that you've sold about $5 billion in real estate. Is that true? I know. It, it's a big number, $5 billion, but yes, it, it is true. Oh, that is impressive. Now, you mentioned that you do a wide range of property all the way from a small condo up to super luxury. Could you describe for us the largest property that you've been a part of, that you've sold, the biggest, most exciting one? Well. 
the largest and the most exciting was really the spelling manor. So if you recall, you know, Aaron Spelling, Candy Spelling, and all the TV shows and, and Beverly Hills 90210 and, and all of those. So that was their property. It was Candy Spelling's property at the time. And it was, I had put that up for sale and that was $150 million was the asking price. And it was the most expensive property in the world at the time, up for sale. And it was probably the most widely recognized. It was very, very famous and did a lot of publicity on that. But that was really my most exciting and most famous property. It's hard for us to get that in our head, $150 million property. Could you describe something about it? I mean, how big was it? How big was the lot? What made it worth $150 million? Well, it was, I mean, some of that was really the marketing tool because $150 million is a very nice, big, round number. But the property was and still is amazing. It is in prime, prime area of L.A. called Homeby Hills, which is right next to Beverly Hills, Bel Air. So it is in, in an outstanding neighborhood. It was, the land is about 4.7 acres. And that may not sound like a lot in some parts of the country, but in the heart of L.A., that is huge. Properties and parcels of land are, are not 4.7 acres. So it was 4.7 acres, prime, prime location. The house itself was 71,000 square feet under a roof. It was 56,500 and then a 17,000 plus square foot finished attic area that had beauty salon in it and wrapping rooms and all sorts of other things. But the property is, you know, just really beautiful and just tennis court, rose gardens and anything you can probably imagine. Now, did that property end up selling? And if so, what price did it end up closing out at? Yeah, it did sell. It went on the market in 2009, uh, which was not the best time to be marketing a property because we were in the midst of an economic crisis throughout the world. And it sold in 2011 for $85 million. And $85 million was a great number for this property. And it's still, until about two years ago, was the most expensive property ever sold in the greater Los Angeles area. So it was very, very famous property and just commanded a very high price. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a famous property. I have to admit, I saw it, a little picture on it and a blurb in Forbes magazine. Uh, you mentioned that you were doing a lot of PR on it. How did you promote such a big property? Well, what the goal was to make it the most famous property in the world, and that was why we chose that number as part of our marketing strategy of the $150 million and to be the most famous listed property. And what we were really trying to do was one, of course, you need to make it famous, but two, we're trying to find a billionaire to buy it. So, And the billionaire could be either local, national, international. So the reach was, how do we promote this and how do we really get this all over the world? And so we had a PR firms, we had marketing materials, we had our seller here was cooperative and just letting us use her name as part of the marketing. And she had a book come out. And so we were promoting her book. We were promoting everything Hollywood related and just reaching throughout the world. So it was a total outreach. And so 
you know, there were people who wanted, of course, come and see it. But we made it such that you really couldn't come to see it unless you showed the money. And, and so there was a little bit of a mystique also of uh, just, you know, okay, it was very famous and it, it had on TV and I promoted it literally everywhere. But you really couldn't come to see it unless you really were qualified to see it. Now, did a billionaire end up buying it? Yes, the billionaire did end up buying it. You know, you think of a billionaire, you think of someone who, well, what I was looking for as a billionaire, did not really picture what we wound up with as the billionaire that bought it. Because the billionaire that bought it was 22 years old at the time. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, it was an international buyer from the UK who wanted to buy a home in LA and was 22 years old. And so it was like, you just never know who your buyer is going to be. (laughs) Clearly did have the money. It was all cash transaction and the money was all there. But uh, the fact that she was so young was really unexpected. Wow. Have you worked with a lot of billionaires? Yes. And some of the billionaires are just much more discreet. Some are quite comfortable having their name out there and some really don't want the attention. So be careful on who or what. But I also sold another property that was very famous to another young billionaire. Do you want to hear about that? Yes, that'd be great. So, okay, so this was a property in Beverly Hills and very different than the spelling manor, but it was, you know, quite sleek and new and contemporary and great views and it was like the perfect bachelor pad. And it was up for sale for $85 million. And the billionaire that purchased it was 34 years old, had just sold his company to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. And so $85 million property was very, very much within you know, his scope of what he wanted to buy. And he was looking for the perfect bachelor pad, and this was it. So that was another billionaire property, billionaire and, and a property that was sleek and, and famous at the time. So, and that to this day is, that was two years ago, but to this day, it is the most expensive property ever sold in Beverly Hills. That's sold for $70 million. Wow. And how is it different working with someone who's buying a high-end luxury property versus someone who's buying that entry-level condo? It's really very much the same. I mean, this is where, again, you're asking me a question, you know, on what my background was. And I graduated college with a degree in psychology, and I had no idea what I was going to do with it. But in real estate, you're using psychology every single day. And a buyer is a buyer and has to be emotionally connected to the property. So if they're buying, you know, the smallest condo to the most expensive property, there's still there's that emotional connection that you have to appeal to. So it's still someone who's buying this in residential real estate as a home. So they have to picture themselves living there. You have to, as the broker, you have to paint that picture for them. And so it's different, but it's just on a much larger scale because they have the ability to buy it. Normally on this super luxury with billionaires, they have more leeway. You know, they can spend more, they can afford to spend more, but they still have to be attracted to the property. They still want to 
buy it, they still want to feel like they're getting good value, that they're negotiating properly, and that they're getting a home that they're going to love. Let me flip that around. We talked about the buyer. Is there a difference when you're working with a seller on an entry-level home versus a super luxury? I'm going to say not that much of a difference. This is a valuable possession. It's their residential home. It's not an investment property. It's their home. So the seller is attached to that property. So that whole thing of letting go you know, the, the seller has to say, okay, I'm ready to part with the property. And the seller feels that, you know, their property is always worth more than maybe the public may think it is. It's really not that much different. It's just a lot more zeros. So people are people. Inside, the same emotions go through them, the same psychology. Yes, yes. And you have to pay attention. As a broker, you have to really take your cues from your clients and pay attention to what they're feeling and how they're feeling and how to make them comfortable and how to make them feel that you are their advocate and taking care of them. I like that idea of advocacy. Let me ask this. How did you get into the luxury side of the business? Did you always work the higher end? You know, once you sold the 10 homes and you built up a little nest egg there, did you go right into luxury or did it, how did you get into the luxury market? I aspired to do more luxury, but I start out with not the the luxury. It really comes from who you surround you with and what your goals are. So if the goals are to do more luxury, which mine were, it's like, how do you really get there? And what do you do? And who are the people that you need to talk to, meet, and, you know, associate with to really get to that point? And How do you reach those people and how do you make yourself an expert and and knowledgeable? So it's really just a whole progression. It is easier, obviously, once you have a track record. It is just getting that track record. And I'm going to say that's pretty much in in any business. People trust you if they see that you've done it before and, and that there have been other people who have had good experiences. But to get there is first to decide that this is what you want to do. And then look at it and say, okay, you know, who do I have to meet? Who do I have to talk to? Who can introduce me to whom? Who do I have to associate with? Are there organizations? Are there people? Are there just really how do you get to that point? And also, I'm going to just throw this out. If you have an opportunity as a broker and you don't feel that you have that track record, then just aligning yourself initially with some other people. This is not exactly what I've done, but I I think it's a good advice is aligning yourself with other brokers who do have that track record. So if you have a lead or a connection, uh, reach out to someone who has more experience in that and who does have that track record so that you can go, you can take them along and start off that way. And then that gives you the inroad to have a track record and have a good experience and associate yourself with the right people. So you're talking about co-brokering. So co-brokering a listing or do you also co-broker buyers? If need be. Buyers, I think, are a little bit easier because you need to just establish yourself with the rapport. Just go to places where you are going to run into a buyer who is going to be looking to buy a uh, luxury property. But so the buyer end is a little easier if you can then get the access to the property. Sometimes the 
brokers who have the luxury properties are just reticent to work and trust a broker who has no track record. So in that case, aligning yourself with someone who does is helpful, but I think it's particularly helpful on the listing side. That makes a lot of sense. And so I want to just run through that a little bit. You mentioned that you want to build up your knowledge base and so people can read stats and go through homes. I, I understand that track record. You have success. Let's go back to networking, though. You, you kept talking about meeting the right people, getting in front of the right people and organizations. If an agent today were to try to do this, get a little more detail. When you say right people, what does that mean? If you're looking for luxury, you have to say, okay, where are the people who have these luxury homes? What are their interests and how are they aligned with yours? So it's not really making up something where you have no interest in it at all. But if you have an interest in a type of type of a charity or a type of an organization or a religious organization, whatever it is, political, it, you know, wherever your interests lie, just going and, and then seeking out the, the people who do have the wherewithal and who have the higher net worth and, you know, becoming friendly and, and associating with those and, and always talking real estate. You know, this is another thing I'm going to just share is that when you're in those positions, if you're going to some type of an organization or even networking organizations, different communities have different types of networking organizations with professionals, you know, business managers, financial managers of some sort who have clients who are financially just more affluent. So just associating with them, forming alliances with them, getting to know them, but then you have to also demonstrate your knowledge. People are very, uh, you know, I, I talk real estate everywhere, everywhere I go. Generally, people are interested in hearing something, but going out and looking at properties, and so you're knowledgeable about you know, the higher-end properties or just looking at them, understanding them, understanding the value, having some type of an anecdote of like, oh my gosh, I saw, you know, this property and it had biometric ways of getting in and security system, just, just whatever it is. So you have something, an anecdote, different anecdotes that you can talk about that are interesting and one thing leads to another. And so you, you have the direction of where you're talking about real estate, coming up with some interesting anecdotes understanding values, and then when you're in the situations that you're seeking out in a networking, party, charity, whatever it is, that you can then have something to talk about that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I want to flash you back a little bit and see if we could pull this up. Do you recall the first time that you were part of a luxury transaction? And then can you tell us how that came about? Hmm. Okay. That's, um, no, I can't even tell you about the first. <laughs> That's a little tricky here, but it's along those lines. You know, when I started out with the homes, I bought a few homes and I made money. It was a talking point. Okay. So meeting those, you know, then going with that. And so you have something to talk about. And so, and meeting those people and that for me, parlayed into luxury because I was then talking to people who were more affluent. There was people who said, oh, this sounds fantastic. Maybe you could do that for me and going on. So it you know, just led into luxury and there's different levels of luxury. <laughs> so there's the super luxury, which is 
the $85 million luxury, and there is luxury that, again, depending upon where your marketplace is, that's a million dollars. A million dollars in L.A. is not luxury anymore, but it used to be at one point. So it, it's, a, it's a target there. It's just trying to reach up and you know, just keep pushing forward. I can't think of what my first was. It just generally went in that pattern where it kept on going up and up and up in value um, and just in different areas. And the type of luxury just changed. It just became more, more luxury. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You're based in Beverly Hills, California. Did you always work in Beverly Hills? I mean, I grew up in New York, but I, I didn't do any real estate in New York. I came out to, uh, to L.A. right after college. And I lived in the San Fernando Valley, which is more of a suburban community. It's sort of called over the hill here when you're in L.A. And that is more of your suburban middle income type area. Nice, but not the super luxury as a whole. And so that is really where I started. And then I had really switched my focus to, I'm going to call it the city, which is the whole Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Santa Monica, Brentwood, Palisades, the whole area that is, I'm going to say it's, you know, just more centralized and generally overall higher prices for the same types of properties. So I had moved over and just switched my focus in 1998. So it's going on like, 20 years now. So I have started out in more of a middle income and then switched over to pushing for the more luxury at that point. Although prior to that, I had sold luxury homes and I had sold luxury homes also in the San Fernando Valley, which does have more luxurious areas. You know, it's just a wider range, but the city areas themselves, like the Beverly Hills and Beverly Hills adjacent, are relatively speaking, much more expensive for the same types of properties. Why did you decide to make that transition? Were you already just going to move to the area personally, or did you do it as a business strategy to move into what you called the city, into the the core of LA? I'm going to say it was a business strategy. I was really focusing at that point because I had spent some time also just in commercial real estate and other types of real estate. Starting in 1998, my real focus was really predominantly now residential, where I had done other types of real estate prior to that as well. So with that, it was really a conscious decision to work in the city side versus the valley side and go toward the more luxury. Sounds like the majority of your business, we did a little calculation before we talked, we did some exchanging of numbers, and it sounds like about 85% of your business is coming from repeat and referral from past clients and sphere of influence. So I'd like to talk about that for a minute. Do you have a database of past clients and sphere of influence? And if so, how big is it? I have a database of about 17,000 people. And we keep on adding to the database and, and some people fall off. You know, people move, they, you know, different things happen. 
but my database is about 17,000. Database is critical. Again, majority of my business is from past clients, referrals of some sort, so referrals from past clients to other clients, referrals from business managers to clients. So the majority of my business is from referrals. Database is critical to those referrals, and keeping in touch is critical to those referrals. So it is always being in some way in their mind or in their face, or I do something called a Jones report, which is a newsletter. I send that out once a month, every month to my entire database. So that is at the minimum a way of my keeping in touch with database of clients and referral clients. I'm communicating at least a minimum of that. And so if you do a good job, which you know I do and I plan on, and that's very, very important is to just really be, as I said, an advocate for your clients so that they feel that they want to come back to you and want to work with you and that they're your client for life. So if I do that and, and I keep in touch, then there's a much higher probability of getting repeat business that way. 17,000, that, that's a lot of people. Those are not all past clients. How many past clients is it? And, and then what are the other people that are in there? There's, uh, well, I can't say they're all past clients. I haven't sold to 17,000, but I've sold to a lot. But in the database are people that are also referral types of clients, someone that I've spoken to uh, and dealt with in some capacity, even if I never sold them a home. You know, your database are, if you've had a conversation with someone about real estate, and you have their name and their number and then now their email address, they go into your database. And generally, you get referrals from anywhere. You know, I got a referral from my physical therapist. I got a referral from dentist, you know, from your hairdresser. You can get referrals from anyone. It does not have to be only someone that you've personally sold a property to or for. So it is someone who that you have had a real estate conversation with is a referral source. You mentioned you've got this database. It sounds well-kept. What software are you using to maintain it? Right now, I'm going through transition, and we're struggling a little bit because transition from a database is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. I was using a software called Agent Office, which was database, which was probably the first one that anyone has ever heard of having anything to do with real estate. And so I had that for years and years and years. And so, and I was very reluctant to switch from it because it was something that was comfortable. We did make a switch to property base, which is um, within Salesforce last year. It's much more robust. We're still going through a little bit of cleanup, but that's what I'm using right now. Now, you mentioned that you want to stay in touch with your folks at least once a month with the, the newsletter, the Jones Report. First of all, is that mailed out or emailed out? At one point, I was doing mail. Right now, it is email. It's strictly email. So if I don't have an email address for them, this is part of what I put into the database is getting email addresses for everyone because people have email. Just about everyone has an email address right now. So right now, it is strictly email. Uh, it is much less expensive, much less cumbersome, and just much easier to use. 
as opposed to mailing it. Again, at one point I did do mail, but not anymore. Could you describe the Jones Report? What does it look like? What's in it? Well, it is proprietary, so it is, you know, I created it, you know, together with my marketing people, and it is consistent. So that's the first thing is so people know that it's coming every month. And what it has is it has some real estate letter or intro or info or something from me of what's going on in the market or something of value having to do with real estate. And then what I also include are articles that are pertinent or interesting or that I think my readers, the people of my database would find interesting. So I include articles from wherever that are of interest. And then I also include, you know, coming soon, what properties I have that are coming up so people can look at that and Frequently, I'll get calls on those as well before they hit the market. And I, I include sales and you know, past sales, what I have in escrow and pictures. And just to have, there's a lot of pictures. It's not only just written copy. So that's the, you know, the general format. In the Jones Report, do you put a call to action? Do you ask people to call you or ask for a free market analysis or list of homes? It's not a specific call to action. But every single one of those coming soons is a call to action. Every single time, every month, I get responses. There's no way that I'm not getting responses because it's interesting enough. I wanted to look where it's something that someone wants to open it, look at it, read it, and it's not just a solicitation. So there's a call to action, but not in the call to action where it's really blatant. Do you do other marketing pieces or other ways that you go out and touch your sphere of influence, your past clients, this database? Is there anything else you do other than the Jones Report? That is the thing that's consistent, okay? I do do still some mail pieces of, you know, just in neighborhood mailings, okay? And so that is not only to my sphere of influence, but that's really more, you know, what you would call farm-related. And I work in, you know, a diverse area, which is what I was sharing with you a little bit earlier, was that between price point and area. So I have eight different areas that are included separately. So they'll go out separately. And it's really what's new in the neighborhood type of a mailing. And again, this is not just, you know, my database and it's not necessarily just referral, but it is going out and it's people are interested in what's going on in their neighborhood. What's in escrow? What do things sell for? You know, what's on the market, et cetera, because they're comparing their home to that. That's, that has more of a call to action because I do have properties for sale or that I've sold in all of these areas. So I do have what I have either sold or what I have coming up or property that I've just listed, you know, as one of the featured properties as well. So that is a hard piece of marketing that's mailed out. On to my database, one of the things that I do also is if there's specific properties that, you know, I divide up my database into if it is something that's in a particular neighborhood, a property that's coming up in a particular neighborhood or segregated by, let's say, developers, you know, who would be looking for a development type of a project. So I will do a direct email blast of some sort with information on 
particular property that might be of interest. So that's another way of reaching out, which is both interest and informative. Um, I do something else that's really a little different is that once a year I have a party, you know, Christmas time. It's a holiday party that I invite all my past clients or some of the people in my database that I want to invite. So my husband is, is always concerned that this is going to be absolutely insane because I invite about 1,500 or so people <laughs> a year. I don't have 1,500 coming, but I do have probably 500 that do show up to my party and that look forward to coming to the party once a year. And again, that's always a fun time because this is more of a of an outreach and a thank you. And buyers, sellers, clients are always feel special when they are invited to your home personally. Wow, you do that in your home. That's a, a lot of people. I do. Yeah, yeah, my house is trash. <laughs> after that, we have like major, major cleaning going on after that. I believe it. Now, let me ask one last question here. Do you have a subset in your past clients and sphere of influence, a, a smaller group that you try to do more things with, say a top 25 or a top 50 because they send you a lot of referrals? Well, what I do is I have something called referral source, sellers, buyers. Everyone's categorized as something, and they're categorized by really the ones that are the most active. There's some people who are very good and love to refer. There's others who are not. Not that there's anything wrong with them or experience wasn't great, but some people just are not as, they don't feel comfortable or they're just not, they're, you know, their brain doesn't work that way. And so the ones that do, I am in touch. What I do is, aside from these mailings or emails, which are a little more passive, I call and I prospect every single day. So I am on the phone calling every single day a minimum of an hour, and that's an assigned job where I block out the time and keep track of who I'm calling every day. I'm making a list of who I'm calling. And so the ones that are my best sources, I'm in touch every single day. Wow. Is there a certain time of the day that you like to do that? My preference is to do it first thing because that's the most important thing that I do every day. If I do that, I know business will be forthcoming. If I don't prospect and just get tied up with minutia or making a deal happen or whatever, that is not ensuring my future business. So that is really something without fail that I do every single day. And I try to get it done uh, first thing if I can so that I know that I've at least accomplished the most important thing that I have to do that day which is prospect. When you prospect for that hour in general, how many dials do you make or people do you talk with? I try to do 25. And sometimes you reach people, sometimes you don't. And it's just calling and saying hello. It doesn't matter at all what you say. You can always figure out something to say. I'm thinking about you, anything. Or you want to tell someone about something. It doesn't matter what it is. It is just getting on the phone and calling them. If I'm going to say that is the single most important and critical thing that I can really share with anyone. Have you been doing that your entire career? Yeah, I have. Some brokers who door knock, and and that's how they get business. They literally go and, and door knock. And the ones that do that, you know, some are successful because they do it consistently. Others try it and then don't. 
this is my prospect and this is equivalent to my door knocking. And it's really easy not to do it. You know, it is so easy to make excuses on how busy you are trying to do anything else. But it's just once you do it and you know you do it and you you know unequivocally there's going to be results, then it's like, okay, so I, I do it. So that is without fail what I do. And I feel really, really badly when I don't. Don't do it on vacation. But even on vacation, I'm, I'm following up with people that I really have to. But it's more than just following up. It's just keeping in touch. And it's just saying hello. That's the bedrock of the business. I went to your website before we got together, and I noticed, I'm switching gears here, I noticed that you had a marketing video up for a property. It was called Sunset Chateau, and it was really different. It was a lady in a a luxurious house. She was dressed up, I think, in a 19, maybe 20s outfit, and she was kind of this voiceover of her kind of going through a dream phase of talking about yearning for past love. It really shocked me that that was a real estate video. Has that approach been working well? Yeah. So marketing has changed dramatically from, you know, the approach that the people were using in real estate sales before. It's much more sleek and it's much more about lifestyle right now. So everything that I do from a marketing standpoint is really from marketing a property standpoint, as opposed to marketing myself, is really about lifestyle. So if you see a lot of the way the TV commercials are these days, you're watching the commercial and you have no idea what are they trying to sell? It's like, okay, then at the, at the end you figure it out, you know, what is the product? So the lifestyle video, like this type of a video is, the theme of this property is old Hollywood. It was an old Hollywood feeling property, an old Hollywood theme. It had old Hollywood history. So with that, the video here is this old Hollywood nostalgic type of video where you're looking at it and it's almost like a, a show. You're, I hope you liked it and, you know, and it kept your attention. But <laughs> It did. Yeah. It's almost like a show and you're watching it. And, and while you're doing that, you're also seeing the whole house and you're seeing the feel of the house and you're seeing how someone would live in that house or, or in this case, it was old Hollywood and old Hollywood love and all that, or how someone would just, you know, put their feet in the pool and, and, and lie on a piano and do all these kinds of things where, it, it, again, it's promoting lifestyle in the particular property. And that's really the theme right now of what I'm doing on marketing is more about how you live, how you enjoy, if it's going to be something where it's going to be family and, and a lot of kids, it's how are they going to enjoy frolicking through the house and, and, and all of that. So it's just a, a very different type of a marketing twist. It was really impressive. And thank you for giving us the lowdown on that. So is it working? Is it, is it bringing in business by taking that approach to focus on lifestyle? Yes, it is. It's much more dynamic. We'll see. You know, we'll see how this all pans out. I mean, just in selling I mean, as far as the video, but in just in selling, when you're showing a property, there's like, okay, you expect that the property will have a kitchen and it'll have rooms and it'll have a bedroom and it'll have bathrooms and it'll have all those things. 
But really, and again, this goes back to the psychology, is what you're trying to appeal to is the emotional impact that the property is going to have to a particular buyer. And so just by stating the obvious, you're not getting an emotional impact. What you have to elicit is like, how are they going to live there? Okay, if you're cooking, what are the dinner parties going to look like? Are people going to be sitting there and keeping you company as you're cooking and you're chatting with them with a glass of wine? It is really about evoking those emotions because you want the buyer to put themselves in the position of how they're going to live there and how they're going to enjoy that and how they're going to imagine that as opposed to here is a kitchen. And that's the same thing with these videos. It's much more of an emotional approach. Instead of telling them what that kitchen's going to look like, you're showing them what it's going to be like with their family around it. Really impressive. Very nice. I want to switch gears. I know we're running short on time, but I want to ask real quick about your team. Now, if I understand correctly, there are 23 members on the team, nine admin and 14 agents. Do I have that correct? Yes. Although we're we're hiring another marketing person right now. So on the admin, admin is really staff. I don't know that they're really admin, but they're professionals. So I have marketing. You know, we do a a lot of marketing, a lot of marketing and and just new and innovative and creative and and all those things. So I'm not physically, I'm directing traffic and what I want and approving and all that, but I'm not physically creating materials. So I have just marketing. I have a, a marketing director. I have a marketing coordinator. I have just marketing, several marketing people. Marketing is really key as far as my commitment. And it's marketing both me, the team, and the properties. I have two people who are just working on the escrows and the paperwork and and all of that with me. So what I do is, is again, I step in and I'm involved in everything, but I am not then physically doing a lot of the intricate step-by-step Item. So I've trained all these people very carefully. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with everything that they're going to be doing. And I'm called in and I'm involved. I'm kept uh, up to date on every single aspect, but I am not physically doing every single thing. I'm not at every single inspection, et cetera. So I have my staff, which are all very, very well doing a lot of the administrative or back-end or creative or promotional type of work. Well, Sally, you are a real estate master. You challenged yourself with multiple real estate disciplines, including residential, commercial, mortgage, property management, development, and flipping to name a few. You settled on residential and deliberately moved yourself into the luxury and super luxury markets. You raised your skills and confidence along the way to the point of working with billionaires to buy and sell super mansions. You've become a billion-dollar agent five times over. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 96 homes last year as a solo agent. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. 
I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.